Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Appreciate you joining me another day. We're going to do one more video on the prophecies of Zechariah. So in yesterday's program, if you have not seen that yet, it is imperative that you go back and you watch it first before you watch this video. I'm not, I cannot take the time to explain all these things again, but we basically went into the history. And when you understand the history, when you understand who Zechariah is speaking to, why he is speaking to them, when you understand he is giving them instructions to prepare for the coming of the Messiah, and there is a timeline for when he's going to be coming that they receive from Daniel. He's going to come within 490 years, and Ezekiel and Daniel have given them instructions to prepare for him. Haggai spoke of the coming of the Messiah. So they are, they are getting, they are building this temple to prepare themselves for the coming of the Messiah. That is, is important that we keep that in mind. And so what we are going to do is we're going to go and we're going to look at some of the uh, more famous prophecies, not all of them, that people will apply to the future. And I believe they are correct in applying these things to the future or referring to them when talking about our future. However, mistakes are often made because of the fact that these things are not going to play out exactly as specified in Zechariah because what Zechariah is explaining uh, that the Messiah is going to do, many of these things are dependent on what they do. Now, what we end up seeing and when we get to the Gospels, we see the Messiah come and do everything he said he was going to do, but we see nothing but disobedience from the Jews. And, and so as a result of that, we can expect some of these things to play out a little differently. And so I've got a couple um, illustrations I want to use to explain something to you that often whenever I start having conversations with people about this, they get kind of confused frustrated, and will even accuse me of claiming things that just aren't true. So for, so let me start off by saying, what happened with Israel, with Christ, with the cross, understand that is always what was going to happen. God declares the end from the beginning. And so when we look at the timeline of the Bible, uh, if somebody, you know, when we look at the history of what happened. Understand God always knew it was going to happen. God always knew that the Jews were going to reject him. Acts 28, the apostles, they finally figured it out. Yet yeah, this is what was spoken of by Isaiah the prophet. And so in many prophecies, we see sometimes it is telling us what is going to happen. And But those things were also in dark sayings. It was not something that was revealed until after the fact, after these things happened, you know, like the rejection of uh, the Messiah by the Jews. The, uh, you know, that was something that was clearly in the Old Testament, but the disciples didn't fully understand it. And we see in the book of Acts, I mean, they are desperately trying to get Israel to repent and uh, as a nation. And the end of Acts ends with them basically saying, you know, hey, we got, we got a few we got some, but overall they didn't repent, and this is what was prophesied was going to come. So, for sure, you can always find Jesus, the cross. You can always find what happened prophesied 
in the Old Testament. You can always you can always find that because God has always had a plan, and what happened was God's plan. But having said all that, we do understand that what happened was disobedience. Throughout the timeline of the Bible, we constantly see people disobeying. We see constantly see Israel disobeying. And so for them to disobey, that also means there's something for them to obey. And it's okay to ask ourselves the question sometimes and say, well, what would have happened if they would have obeyed? And those are interesting conversations. A lot of it's speculation when it comes right down to it. But many prophecies that are instructing them on things to do that they did not do explain an outcome that is different, slightly different sometimes, than what is actually going to come to pass. Because, again, we know they disobeyed. So, if I may use a very carnal illustration, okay? I'm going to use a carnal illustration because I think if I explain it this way, it's going to help some of you uh, get a hold of what I'm trying to say. And so, I don't know if we have any uh, Marvel fans on here, but you might remember on the one where they go back in time trying to change the timeline. They're trying to change events for the future. And so, uh, you know, the Hulk's got to go back and get the time stone. And if you remember, uh, the lady on there, she explains to him a timeline. And she shows him a timeline. This, this is your reality. That's what that uh, orange streak there represents. And she's like, if you take this stone, you can change things and you create a new reality and you'll see there's that black line going off in another direction. And so she warned about the danger of that. And so then, you know, they come with a plan, well, we'll return the stones and then your reality won't change. And so that's, that's Hollywood stuff right there, okay? So understand that orange streak that you saw there, that represents reality, okay? And I've come up, I am not artistic at all. Okay, I wish so. If, if somebody is artistic and come up with a visual illustration to help me with this, I would greatly appreciate it because I have to explain this to people a lot. But what I've come up with here is a red timeline. That red streak that you're seeing there across the board, starting with Eden and ending with New Jerusalem, that represents the timeline of the Bible. That represents a timeline that was prophesied from the beginning because God declares the end from the beginning. It started in Eden and it's going to end in New Jerusalem. That was always God's plan and everything that has happened in between Eden and, and New Jerusalem, it all fits in that timeline. And it is exactly what God has always has planned. And there is, there is only, there is, there is only one timeline. Okay, There is only one reality and the Bible prophesied it. The Bible, God knew it was coming. And so you can preach so many messages using prophecy and showing how God always knew what was going to happen. Uh, and that's fun to do. Uh, but at the same time, we all would admit that while the, when, we're, when we're reading our Bible, it is telling us details of stories that literally took place during that time. And so one of the stories is the Garden of Eden. When God put man in the Garden of Eden, remember what happened? God said, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? 
Now, God always knew that they were going to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, there's no doubt about that. But at the same time, you know, it's okay to have a conversation and say, what would have happened if they had not eaten of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil back in Eden? Well, if that would have been the case, then you know what? We would have had, theoretically speaking, uh, you know, a very different timeline that would have taken place. And so we would have, we would have seen here at Eden, you know, right uh, you would see a whole different timeline of events. Okay? Now one can only speculate what that timeline would have been like. We we can we can only speculate the Bible says very little about what will happen if they don't eat that tree. We know they'd live forever, where they'd have had kids the way they did. You know, we can only speculate. It's a it's a conversation. Okay. It's a good conversation piece. Here's the facts. What happened is what was always going to happen. Nobody denies that. I don't I don't deny that. But it's uh, but we can make that same application when it comes to any crucial moments in Israel's history where they disobeyed. For example, you know, what would have happened if when Israel, uh, when they came out of Egypt, what would have happened if at the Exodus, they would have not tempted God in the wilderness, if they would have trusted him? You know, things would have looked different. They wouldn't have had 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They'd have gotten the promised land sooner. What would that have meant? What would have happened if when Jesus came and preached to the Jews, they didn't reject him, but they accepted him as their Messiah. What would that have done? That would have created a you know, different set of events, you can see. And so understand that in many prophecies that we see, uh, they are the prophets are not just predicting the future. They're giving Israel instructions and saying, if you do this, these things will happen. And that is what Zechariah is. And we already showed in the previous video, all these things will come to pass if ye will diligently do these things. And so uh, everyone reads Zechariah as if Israel obeyed these things. And if you do that, then first off, you've changed everything that the book of Zechariah is all about. And tons of things do not make any sense at all. And so, uh, you know, so whenever I am explaining, you know, different things like this, Uh, that, you know, could have happened, you know, I'm not saying that it was what was supposed to happen or whatever. No, God always knew what was going to happen. God always knew they were going to disobey. For them to disobey, there has to be something to obey. So now let's go to some of the famous prophecies in Zechariah, kind of keeping these things in mind, because there certain things, you know, for example, okay, certain things that were always God's plan with, without a doubt, you know, the cross was always in God's plan, uh, no matter what. New Jerusalem, you know, that's always been God's plan. Uh, without a doubt, these things are these things are going to happen. And so there are there are certain aspects of prophecy that no matter what, they're they're going to have a fulfillment. But what will that fulfillment be like? Will it be through an ethnicity? Will it be through Israel, or will it be through Jesus Christ? I believe all things are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And wait to hear my message on Sunday uh, for the Sunday evening service. Be ready for that. Man, I mean, just 
my mind is blown by this, but just you've got to get a hold of the fact that all things are fulfilled through Christ because flesh and blood, we can't make these things happen. So let's look at some of the famous prophecies, keeping these things in mind. And uh, I believe that um, this will help you understand how we can be consistent in the teaching and teachings that we see in Zechariah and understanding what is to come, what has already been, and what has not come. Because I, I said yesterday that I do not believe Zechariah was giving prophecies that were intended for an audience 2,500 years later. I believe it was intended for this people during this new era they are going into with the new second temple and that was to uh, prepare themselves for the Messiah. That's what this was for. This wasn't for us in the church age, you know, over 2,000 years in the future. The th reason that though we can make application from these things, though, is because these things will find their fulfillment through God's people in the New Testament church age because Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. So people are not wrong to go to Zechariah and talk about some future things. Where they are wrong is when they when they apply it to Israel. That is wrong. You can't do that. And so let me give you some examples. So let's go to Zechariah 8 and let's look at verse, we'll start reading in verse 20. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it shall come to pass that there shall come people of the inhabitants of many cities. And the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go speedily to pray before the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will go also. Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, In those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold of all languages of the nations, even shall take hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now, I remember listening to Sam Gipp one time preaching. This still has to happen. It was in his message where he was saying Jesus was supposed to be named Emmanuel and not Jesus. It was in that message. And he's saying, we have heard God is with you. God with us. Emmanuel. And this, this never happened with the Jews. And this has to happen because Zechariah said it's going to happen. Well, that would have happened if they would have been obedient. This was supposed to happen. When they rebuilt that temple and they started doing the things that God told them to do, this was supposed to be the result, but they didn't follow the instructions. And so when Jesus Christ showed up at the triumphal entry. We, he, he is going to call them out for not doing that. They were supposed to be a light to the people. In Matthew 21, uh, or not Matthew, uh, Matthew 23, let's look at this, where Jesus is ripping on the Jews and he's ripping on them hard. And look at one of the things that he says to them. He says, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. They were not letting people into the kingdom. They were supposed to be a light. People were supposed to be coming to them and wanting to go with them to Jerusalem. And they wanted to, they, they uh, were supposed to uh, be desiring the Lord because of them. But they were a wicked people 
They were very, uh, they were always shutting people down. They were supposed to be a light and they were not a light. So you know what, man, and here's, here's the thing too. Uh, I, I do not want to start preaching Sunday night's message, but this idea of Israel being a light, it was fulfilled through Christ because Israel was not a light. And Matthew 4, 14 says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Israel is not a light, but Jesus came and he was a light. And, and his followers, he said, ye are the light of the world. We are the fulfillment through Christ of that being a light to the world. And so understand under the new covenant, you know, people aren't running to us and we're, or we're not, and we're not pointing them to Jerusalem. We don't have to do that. You know, God, uh, God got rid of the temple under the new and better covenant. And so uh, some things changed with that because Israel didn't get it done. When Jesus showed up at his triumphal entry, you know what he said? He, uh, he quoted Isaiah 56. He quoted, he quoted Isaiah 56, and he said, uh, and in Isaiah 56, now it says, my house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. And remember, Jesus said, my house should be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it into a den of thieves. When Jesus showed up at his triumphal entry at the day of visitation, there were not people from all nations there. That is what he wants, people from all nations. But Israel, they were shutting people out of the kingdom. That's one more thing they disobeyed. And guys like Sam Gipp, they look at Zechariah 8, and they're like, nope, it's still got to happen. No, it doesn't. Not through the Jews. This happened and was fulfilled through Jesus Christ. This is happening in fulfill it, the fulfillment is through uh, his church. And so, um, so yeah, the, the, so chapter 9, let's go to another one. Chapter 9. Now, everyone knows Zechariah 9.9. 9. This is a very famous prophecy. We also know it was fulfilled because of the fact that it was flat out specified that it was fulfilled. And that is, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the full of an ass. Okay, so that was fulfilled, right? Well, how about let's look at the verses before this. Let's just look at, uh, we're not going to go through the whole chapter. It says, and I will encamp about mine house because of the army, because of him that passeth by, because of him that returneth, and no oppressor shall pass through them anymore. For now I have seen with mine eyes. And then we got verse 9. And it says, and I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen. And his dominion shall be from sea even to the sea and the river. And the earth. Go read, <clears throat> go read the rest of that chapter, none of that other stuff happened. Why is that? Well, because Jesus came and did what he said he would do, but Israel did nothing that they said that they would do. So why are we looking for events to unfold exactly as described in Zechariah? That wouldn't make any sense because they disobeyed. They disobeyed. This, these prophecies are prophecies of instruction and promises if they obey. These are not prophecies saying this is what's going to happen and nothing can change that. 
even though those kind of prophecies are in the Bible. So when Jesus came in at that triumphal entry, what ended up happening? Okay, what what he ended up cleansing the temple is is the way, is the way they often refer to it, where he's basically driving people out. But um, it's you know it says and Jesus went to the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer, be I made it into a den of thieves. This is not what he was looking for. This is not what they were supposed to do. Jesus was upset. Even as he came to the city, the Bible says he wept over it. Why? Because it was not, they had not done what they were supposed to do, and therefore Jesus cannot do what he wanted to do. He can't, he can't, he can't do, he can't give them all the good things he promised them if they would be ready. It would be like me if I told my kids, hey, if you're good when I'm gone, when I come home, if the house is clean, if your mom gives me a good report, I'm going to have some candy that I'm going to give you. And so as a good dad, I should come home with the candy, you know, in case they did the right thing. But if I come home with that candy and I find out, man, the house is trash. I didn't listen to my mom. They were terrible. I'm not going to give them the candy. I came prepared. I did my part. Hey, I kept my promise. Here's the candy. You could have had it, but you didn't do what I told you to do. So all the things that we are seeing Jesus doing at that triumphal entry on that Palm Sunday, it's him. Hey, I'm here. I did what I said I was going to do. I did all the things I promised that I would do in Zechariah. What about you guys? You haven't done anything. And not only that, but, you know, they proceeded to go and kill him. So uh, understand, we shouldn't expect things to look exactly like they do in the book of Zechariah, even though we do see a lot of similar things. Now, let's go to chapter 12, and let's go look at one of the uh, probably most famous um, passages. But first off, too, uh, we won't, I'm not going to spend any time on this, <clears throat> but uh, Zechariah 11. In Zechariah 11, we have, it says, And I said unto them, If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it into the potter, a goodly price that I was priced at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. And so that's an interesting prophecy right there that we see that was fulfilled through Judas uh, at the betrayal of Jesus. But let's go to Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. This is probably one of the most famous ones that unfortunately uh, people are absolutely missing the boat. They are reading this is though Zechariah is just predicting the future. They ignore all the instructions and they ignore all the disobedience. Okay, and so look at what look at this. It says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. Well, you know, let's go back. All right. Well, uh, let me let me go back. It says, and it shall come to pass in verse 9 in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now, every the pre-trivers, they will all apply this to the future. That's what they all want to do. They all want to apply to the future. You know, everybody's coming against Israel right now. It's fulfilling a prophecy. One of these days, Jesus is going to come, and he's going to destroy all those nations that are coming against Jerusalem. Well, you know what? They were, they were nations coming against Jerusalem back in that day. They were literally under Roman captivity during that time. 
And, and look what it says. And I will pour out upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be a great mourning in Jerusalem as the mourning of Hadad-Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. And people read that and they apply it to Armageddon. Because look, Megiddo's mentioned. For, okay, first off, Megiddo and Jerusalem are two completely different places. The valley of Armageddon and the valley of Jehoshaphat are two very different places. The valley of Jehoshaphat is right outside Jerusalem. Okay, first off, get, get, a hold, get a hold of that. Just because you see the word Megiddo does not mean this is connected to Armageddon. What does it say in that passage? It says, in that day when they pierce him, when they look on him whom they pierce, there's going to be a mourning like the mourning that there was in Megiddo, which was something that happened during the time of Josiah when he died in a battle and they made a great mourning for him in that day. And so understand, uh, in Zechariah 12, what we're seeing there is an example of something that's supposed to happen, but didn't exactly happen. Because first off, one thing we do know did happen is that uh, G the Messiah did come. He was pierced. He poured out Spirit of grace and supplications. Okay, look uh, Look what it say, uh, says in John 19 and verse 36. For all these things were done, that the scripture be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look on him whom they pierced. R folks, right there, it says that it was fulfilled. After they put the spear through Jesus, they will look on him whom they pierced. And you say, well, where did he pour out the spirit of grace and supplication? Folks, him dying, he was making atonement for the sins of the people on that day. How is that not pouring out grace upon Jerusalem? He was dying for the sins of the people. And how? And what, what about when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Supplication, that's prayer. That's intercession. He's, he's praying for these people that day. He's doing everything he said he would do in Zechariah 12, and they looked on him whom they pierced. But where, where was the great mourning? Where was the great mourning? Well, we do see, obviously, Mary was mourning. You know, the women that were with her, John was mourning. But there was no great mourning during that time. You know why? Because the Jews sided with the Romans they were the ones that put the Romans up to crucifying Christ. They were crying out crucifying him. They were mocking him. They weren't supposed to do that. They were spitting on him. They weren't supposed to do that. Israel didn't do anything they were supposed to do. So this day has come when he's pouring out grace and supplication, but they are not accepting it. They are, they are rejecting him, but them looking on him whom they pierced, understand that, ha that, that was fulfilled and John flat out tells us that. You say, well, what about Revelation 1-7? Uh, okay, what, what about Revelation 1-7? Because uh, they are going to look on who, him whom they pierced, but yet look what it says in Revelation 1-7. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, 
and they also which pierced him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Uh, where's him pouring out grace and supplication? Right there. No. They missed the boat on that. He already poured out grace and supplication. Now listen, today they can still believe on him because he prayed for them. He, he made intercession for them. He died for their sins. Any of them can still be saved today if they will go back and read the scriptures and look on whom, whom, whom they pierced. If, if, they will, if they will call on the Lord, they will be saved. But when he comes the second time, it says all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And according to pre-tribbers, all the kindreds of the earth are going to wail except for the Jews. And you know why? Because they, they'll connect it to Zechariah 12 where we see good things happening to Israel. The good thing happened to Israel. They didn't accept it. They did not accept it. They can still accept it now. But when he comes the second time and they look on him whom they pierce, they're going to wail because they are going to realize we messed up. We are doomed. They will be destroyed. That's how it's going to play out. So, um, yeah, Zech Zechariah 12, it, it, it happened. At least the Messiah did his part. The stuff Israel was supposed to do, it didn't happen. They disobeyed. And so for some reason, people think it's like people think Jesus is going to go to the cross again. No. They looked on him whom they pierced in John. That was fulfilled. And people argue with you all day about that because they don't because of Revelation 1. There's a difference in Revelation 1. We don't see grace and supplication being poured out. We see everyone wailing, all kindreds, including Israel. That's different. Okay? That's different. The Messiah already did his part. And so uh, chapter 13, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time, but in chapter 13, um, you know, there are certain things that happened. You know, it says in that day, there should be a fountain open to the house of David to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. Uh, I mean, you say, well, what's that? Well, we sing songs like there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Obviously, these things, you know, again, the Messiah did his part. There's certain things in here that we haven't seen because, again, Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. Okay, but... um. But we do see certain things. Verse 7 of Zechariah 13 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And in Matthew 26, 31 and 32, it refers to that. Said that, said that happened. So really, in like all these chapters about future things, we see these things all happen in the first century at the time of Christ. Okay, so now, what about chapter 14? Okay, chapter 14 is another one that uh, this now this is important that we understand this because I submit to you that up and up until chapter 13, we do we see things fulfilled in all of those chapters, but there are some things that never happened. The things that did not happen was because of Israel's disobedience. So my, so here's the big question. What is left to be done? What needs to be fulfilled from Zechariah 14? Because again, the, the Messiah did his part on there. So uh, what thing, you know, what things can we say for sure are about the future? And I submit to you that Zechariah 14 
is still to come. Because all the things that are going to happen when Jesus sets up his reign on this earth are going to happen at his second coming. When there are people from all nations, when there are a people who have been cleansed and are in righteousness and that are, that are waiting for him and that are ready for him. And remember, we're ready because of what Jesus did for us. We're clean because of what he did for us, not because of anything in the temple, not because of our works of the law. So, uh, so I believe the events of chapter 14 uh, were intended to be fulfilled in the first century when the day of the Lord was at hand. But Israel wasn't ready. They had not done what they were supposed to do. So Jesus Christ took the kingdom from them and he lent it out, his vineyard out to other husbandmen. And that's what's been going on for the last 2,000 years. So we will find fulfillment of Zechariah 14 in the at the second coming of Christ. And so I believe what we read, I don't believe anything that we see in chapter 14, which is kind of the end game, um, is I don't believe any of those things happened in the first century. I believe they would have, theoretically, if Israel obeyed, but they didn't obey. So these th the Zechariah 14 will find its fulfillment in the future. And so let's go ahead and read some of this. Uh, let me get it up on the screen. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. All right, and so I'm going to stop right there. And one of the things that I want to point out about everything that we just read there, everything that we read there actually fits with what we see in the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation, that is that is New Testament eschatology. That's eschatology that it's not like the prophecies of Daniel that were sealed, uh, that they, they sealed up. But these the ones in Revelation, he did not seal those ones up. And I believe too, because he said, right, for these are true and faithful. There, these are, the events of Revelation are going to happen. Why? Because they're not dependent on flesh and blood people. They're dependent on a spiritual people. They're dependent on Jesus Christ. So these things, we can count on them that they're going to come, just as he said. And so the fulfillment of what God wants to do here in chapter 14 is going to happen in the future. And notice that this battle that's being fought, it's at Jerusalem. The battle of the great day of God Almighty, as described in Revelation, is not Armageddon. It is that battle is the one that is fought in the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which is right outside Jerusalem. Which the Valley of Jehoshaphat is in between the Mount of Olives that we see referred to and Mount Zion or Jerusalem. And so I do believe that when Jesus Christ returns, He's going to step foot on the Mount of Olives and he's going to split it and all those things are going to happen. And so I do, I believe that everything that we're seeing here 
um, is something that's going to happen in the future. But now here's the big question. You say, well, these are people that are going against Israel. So wait a minute. So is this going to be fulfilled through the ethnic people that rejected him? Or is it going to be fulfilled through his people? You know, is this something that's going, and and we can talk about that. You know, is this something that is, uh, clearly here in chapter 14, it's speaking of something very local in Jerusalem with God's people. And remember, under that old covenant, they were to point people to Jerusalem. Now, under the new covenant, we don't have a continuing city. We don't worship in Jerusalem. We don't have a temple. Our body is the temple. Understand what we're seeing here could be, have a fulfillment in a more symbolic way where God comes back or Jesus comes back and saves us during that time of great tribulation when, you know, the Antichrist is persecuting the church all over the world, not just in Jerusalem. I don't, you know, if somebody, if somebody wants to argue with me about that, I won't put up a huge argument, but understand we're still reading this. This is still being written as if, you know, this is what's going to happen if Israel obeys. They didn't obey. So this could find its fulfillment, again, through the New Testament church. And so it might look a little different. It might not be in Jerusalem. I am not convinced. I am not completely convinced that there will be a, uh, I lean this way. But let me just go ahead and admit, I'm not 100% convinced that there will even be this great massive battle that takes place specifically in Jerusalem. Might be that way, it might not. In fact, uh, one of these days I'm going to do some podcasts on King James, his writings on the book of Revelation. And he looks at those things and he makes them symbolic about uh, the Antichrist going after the church, going after God's people, and not, not Israel, which didn't even really exist in his day. And, uh, he, you know, he makes some pretty compelling arguments and points that make a whole lot of sense. And so uh, I do think it's very possible that what we're seeing there, it will have a fulfillment. But it might look a little bit different, just like we looked at Ezekiel 37 yesterday, where God puts his tabernacle amongst Israel and all that. That is going to have a fulfillment, but it's actually going to be better. And it is, it is going to be different, but better. And so what we see in Zechariah 14 um, might be just like that, but it might be better, might be a little different. But e- either way, the, I don't believe anything was fulfilled in Zechariah 14 in the first century, but I believe it will in, uh, at the second coming of Christ because this time we will be ready because we didn't get cleansed by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are a, a spiritual people, not a, a flesh and blood ethnic people. And so hopefully, you know, having said all this, I know this is a lot of technical stuff that made a lot of sense. And uh, hopefully what will help help you do is when you are reading Old Testament prophecy, that you always ask yourself, what is the message of this prophecy? What did it mean for those people in that day? Is there a call to repentance in here? If there is, ask yourself, did they repent? Is there a call to action in this prophecy if there is ask yourself did they do it and if if they didn't do it don't expect it to turn out the way it said in that prophecy if they you know don't expect them 
to get the reward of obedience when they disobeyed. That's ridiculous. And that's what people are doing with Old Testament prophecy so they can still say there's something in the future for Israel. No. Israel had their chance. They lost it. They messed up. These things will find their fulfillment through Jesus Christ and through the New Testament church. And how that will play out, what I just did too, saying it could be another way, not necessarily local in Jerusalem, that's speculation. I'm speculating. I'm just giving possibilities. Okay, I don't, I'm not, I'm not being dogmatic on that, but I am dogmatic that these things will find their fulfillment through Jesus Christ and through the New Testament church. And so having said all that, we will close this out and hopefully now you have a little better understanding of the prophecies of Zechariah. And I appreciate everybody watching this. Make sure you like, subscribe, share all that good stuff. I appreciate it very much. So thank you all for watching. We will see you all next time. God bless.